and welcome to the Black Chick Lick Podcast. I'm Danielle. And I'm Molly. And you are joining us for our second episode. I feel like we didn't make a big enough deal about the first one, so we're going to have to make a big deal about the second one. Yay, number two, we did it. We came back. We remembered our logins for everything. (laughs) Oh, God. That was a challenge this morning. I was just thinking, though, this is our first, second episode. We have attempted... This is previous yeah we have attempted previous podcasts and have not yet made it to a second episode episode. so this is a big deal (laughs) i'm so happy for us so last month we read queen sugar which Mm -hmm. we read partly because oprah was sort of pushing her tv show and so this month we are reading another brooklyn by jacqueline woodson originally Mm -hmm. published august 9th 2016 so it's super new very new Yes, and it was recently long-listed for the National Book Award in fiction, so it's also really, it's got a lot of attention at the moment, so really good pick, Molly. This was your pick, so I'm very happy you picked it. I really enjoyed it. (laughs) Yay! So, but before we move ahead with the new book, let's take a step back with the old book. Molly actually watched Queen Sugar, and I didn't because I don't have cable and I have yet to go stream this one. So what did you think of TV show Queen Sugar as opposed to book Queen Sugar? Um, so I actually really, really like the TV show. I think I tweeted you five minutes and I was like, oh, wow, this is so much more defined. Like, I really understand where they're going. I really like the addition of the new characters. I like the new Micah, like everything I really, really liked about it. And when I was watching it, I thought, oh, man, you know, this is really subtle how they're introducing everything. They're doing a lot of showing instead of telling and I was getting really into it. And then when I, um, well, actually, half the power in our house was out, all the electricity. So I didn't get to watch it when it aired. And I was going back to watch it. And um, it started showing me, like, the dad dying and all these other things. And I was like, oh, they must be doing flashbacks. But no, it turns out that I was actually watching the second episode, thinking it was the first <laughs> episode. So I was just full of confusion. But other than my own little snafu, I really enjoyed it, and I would highly recommend it. And so what you're saying is they probably didn't even need the first episode? You know, I don't know. I haven't gone back and watched the first episode. I think that maybe if um, I hadn't read the book, I would have been a little bit more confused. Yeah, um, I But yeah, it was... It, I, I just think the plotting is just really well done in the show, which... I don't know. I feel kind of sacrilegious to say this. Um, it just, it's better than the book? It's better than the book. <laughs> Somebody write down the time that I said that. <laughs> 12.35 p.m. So thank you, Oprah. So I guess she knows what she's doing. I guess so. And Ava, whose name I say, I still can't pronounce. DuVernay. Yes, it's shameful. I don't do names. But okay, so yeah, Twitter seems to really love it. So at some point... I will get on that, and I'll watch that and the Get Down, because that's what the cool people oh, yeah. are watching this season. So I gotta oh, watch that. <laughs> but today, we read a book. It's so we're gonna we talk did. about it. So, I guess up front, I feel like at some point we'll stop having to say this, but spoiler alert, we're gonna talk yeah. about this book. Don't listen to this if you're like, should I read this book? Come back after and, you know, share your thoughts with us, but... yeah. This is not to sell you the book. This is assuming you've already bought it and read it and want to discuss it. So we're getting deep into the spoilers because there's a lot of them in this one. And I really, really liked it. So um, to start off, we'll start with the synopsis. The synopsis is a bit, I 
told Molly, I think the synopsis is a bit long, but there's a lot going on that I think is important. So I'm just going to throw it all at you and then we can break it down and discuss it. So another Brooklyn. August, an anthropologist and our narrator, is brought back to New York for her father's funeral when she runs into a childhood friend on the subway. The meeting sends August back to her youth when she, her younger brother, and her father first moved to New York. August spends much of her childhood in New York yearning for her mother and promising her younger brother that they'll soon return to the family farm in Tennessee. She befriends a group of girls who live in the neighborhood who are each dealing with their own struggle. Sylvia is the daughter of strict immigrant parents from Martinique who disapprove of her friendship with quote-unquote ghetto girls. Gigi is the daughter of a teenage mother who pushes her to become a Hollywood star, and Angela is a dancer who is angry and ashamed of her heroin-addicted mother. As children, the girls are inseparable and try to protect each other from the harshness of life. But despite how much they love each other, they are eventually pulled apart. Sylvia is sent to a private school, but later becomes pregnant by a neighborhood boy who left August after she refused to sleep with him. Angela's mother is found dead on a rooftop, we assume of a heroin overdose, and she is sent to a foster home in Long Island. And Gigi, who makes one final attempt to bring the girls back together, commits suicide by jumping off of a roof after no one shows up to a play she had been performing in. Towards the end of the novel, we learn that August's mother had also committed suicide, drowning herself after the death of her brother in Vietnam. The loss of her girl spurs August to want to leave New York and escape the pain of her childhood. She travels the world studying death and dying, and one day at college she sees Angela on TV dancing in a performance and is excited to see that someone else made it out of Brooklyn. So that is... I feel like that's really dumbing it down and not doing it all any justice, but that is essentially the plot of Mm -hmm. the book we Mm -hmm. read today. So let's just start off the top. You said you liked it. So what do you, I would like to know, like what was your favorite, your favorite part of this novel? Um, well, I will start off by saying that, uh, if you are a longtime listener of ours, you'll recall (laughs) that last month, (laughs) so if you listen to the other one, you may recall that last month when I picked this book, I said, Oh, you know, I want a coming-of-age story. I want something a little bit lighter. Yeah, this book was not was not that. <laughs> I, I thought about that. I was like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, it was it was it was heavy, but I really did like it. Like at no point did it seem overwhelming or um, you know, so depressive or violent mm-hmm. that I had trouble getting through it. It was just a really um I think real and in some places familiar um, description of what being a young black girl is like. I think um, that and the actual writing, like the actual prose is just amazing. It's, it's a beautifully written book and I would just, it's a really quick read. Um, I (laughs) think it's like 170 pages or so. And I listened to part of it and then, read it and then I went back and listened to all of it and um as an audiobook and just reading it on the page is an excellent experience hearing it read out loud is excellent I would just highly highly recommend this book same I I love this book it is so gorgeously written like the author does this thing which we'll make it into later where she introduced like really like Revel, like these really earth-shattering revelations and she'll just like mention them in passing and then just move on and that always gets me every time when authors do that like when we learn about 
um, Angela's mother, it's never directly pointed at. It's more hinted at. And like, if you catch it and you see it, and it's just really clever and really smart. And I love it when authors do that, when they let you sort of, when they sort of leave the clues there for you and fur and assume that you're smart enough to pick up on it instead of holding your hand and like blatantly saying, this is what's happening. And I also think, yeah, something you said right at the beginning about how it's not too heavy. And I appreciated that too, because I thought it would be, I'm glad that they're like, none of the girls are ever actually abused. They're never actually hurt. I guess I'm trying to say that they are hurt, but they're never actually like, it's never too much. Like precious. Do you remember when precious came out? Yeah. Like that book for me sort of felt like it was like you couldn't I couldn't find hope in this now in that novel because everything was just working against her. She was illiterate. She was raped. She was physically abused. In this book, there is a lot of struggle and there is a lot of hurt, but it's nothing that feels overwhelming or that they could not at the end of the day find a way out of. So, yeah. So, but yeah, so we both liked it. So this one won't, maybe we won't be as passionately angry as we were in the last one. But I thought it'd be interesting for this one to, like, talk about each girl. Okay. And her struggle. I thought that would probably be a, because that's really what this is about. There isn't much that happens, really. It's about the girls. Right. So let's start with August. What did you think of August? Um, I really liked August. Um, This really, it was kind of interesting because the story is, um you know, first person narrative, we're in August, August's head. But at the same time, for a large chunk of the book, I would say probably up until the very end, her self identity is, it's not individual. Like at first, she is um, defining herself in relationship to her brother as they're sitting in the window. Then it moves on to her relationship with the girls and everything is, we did this, we did this, we did this, mm-hmm. we thought this. we. So we don't really, for the longest time, get a sense of who August is outside of these connections to other people, which I thought was really interesting because, um, you know, you think of that time in your life when you're younger, um, you know, we both have siblings. When you're at a certain age, it is just we, 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 we. And you don't really have any kind of life outside of your family. Then as you get older, you might, you know, uh, form those really strong bonds with other girls your age. And it's we, 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 we think this, we do this. Um, And I I really thought that that was an interesting and, like I said, true-to-life portrayal of what it's like to be a girl at that age. Then later, when she starts to separate from the girls, you feel it as kind of a loss because the narrative kind of spirals a little bit. Mm -hmm. It's moving back and forth in time. It's talking about, you know, trying to find a connection with all these other people until at the end where you really get a sense of who she is, um, what effect her mother's death had on her, and her decision to become an anthropologist and study death and then not reconnect with um, her brother in a sense and then her friends at the end and kind of move on to her own path. So I really liked that about how August was written. Yeah, I also liked how she wasn't, (laughs) going back to the sneaky writing, she wasn't very trustworthy. Mm -hmm. Like she was Mm -hmm. in such denial for I think most of her childhood that for at least for at least two thirds of the book, I thought her mother was alive, but like mentally ill. Yes, I I thought the same thing, and I actually when I went back and listened to it again, I when the first the very first sentence of this book is for a long time my mother wasn't dead yet. 
And that just tells you straight up, like, it tells you this this confusion in her own mind that her mother is dead, but she can't accept it. Even though that line was there, like you, I still thought the mother was alive, even though she tells us right at the beginning that uh, that the mother's passed away. Yeah, that line doesn't make a lot of sense on the first read. Mm-hmm. And I sort of like, you just sort of skim over it, and then it sort of all comes together. For me, it was like when the urn stuff, because she keeps asking her father, what's in the urn? What's in the urn? Mm-hmm. And they're ashes. And he's like, you know what's in the ashes. Right. Or you know you know what's in the urn. You know who the ashes. And then it's not until like the second to last chapter where she straight up says, my mother walked into the water. Right. I, I had the same. And she does actually, on a few occasions earlier, describe her mother's suicide. Um, I think she says like, our house was surrounded by water. Did you not know? And you kept walking. And when I re-listened, I was like, she's been saying it the whole time, but it wasn't until that exact same moment in that penultimate chapter where I was like, oh, it was her mother in the urn. It was, she has been dead. Like the brother was correct. I I don't know. It was a, it was a really neat, um, I don't know if I want to say trick, but like just, uh, it was, Smart, because it feels like we come to the realization at the same point she did. Right. Like, we get it the same moment she did. Because she goes back when she's 16, and she says that seeing the water, that's when it sort of finally hit her. Right. And she realized her mother had died. So, the whole mother, her relationship with her mother was also really interesting, because her mother, one of the few quotes, I guess direct quotes we get from the mother, maybe the only direct quote, no, one of the few direct quotes we get from the mother is, do not trust women. Right, do not be friends what with she, women. Yeah, don't, yeah, she said, my mother had not believed in friendships among, friendships among women. She said women weren't to be trusted. Keep your arm out, she said, and keep women a whole other hand away from the farthest tips of your fingernails. She told me to keep my nails long. And it's funny because like most of this book, all the girls are holding hands. They have each arms around each other's waist. They're very physically close. Mm-hmm. And it's just... And she actually, I think, at one point can't wait for her mother to come back so she can show her, look, look how was, we yeah. are each other. Yeah. Look how we are a part of each other and we are, and we're still working and we look out for each other. Right. So I thought that was interesting. Gender in this book as a whole was interesting, especially in that family. Definitely. And we saw, we get to see a lot of different types of, um, of black women, like not just uh, nationally, racially but also mm-hmm. religious. We get mm-hmm. to see women at different ages. We get to see, um, you know, different profession levels. Like it was just uh, this whole universe, this whole world populated by black women, which I thought was really interesting and not something that you even see in books, you know, with black cast all the time. Like, again, mm-hmm. I hate to go back to Queen Sugar, but it's <laughs> like... You look at Queen Sugar, and I think that that book was reaching for this type of representation, especially with the line where her boyfriend says, oh, you're not like other black women, and she's like, I am. That was kind of a telling experience to say, hey, there are lots of different ways to be a black woman, but this was very much showing, this was the poetry of it, like um, all these different women exist in the world, and they can help each other, or they can hurt each other. Mm Mm-hmm. And I also think even in that family, like, did you notice, like, the gender roles were kind of swapped? So, like, it's not often you see a book, especially with a black family, where it's a single father right. raising the children. Right. Or, and then when she talked... Oh, go ahead. 
Oh, and then when she talks about just like how they were working the land, none of the men knew how to do any of the farming. So the, she says, like, the working of the land fell to my mother, whose lovely right. hands at the end of the day were rough, thickened, and red from long hours in the field. So I thought it was interesting that in this family you had, like, the single father who was raising these children, and then when they were on the farm it was the mother who was working the land and doing the what we think of as typically male things. Right, and even with the brother, he was the one who was staying inside. He was the really studious one, kind of the shy mm-hmm. one. While August was the one kind of out running the streets, being adventurous. Um, so that that's a little bit different, I think, too. Yeah. Her brother was kind of neat. I liked her brother. He was sort of like us, I believe. Because like, I did, for some of the parts, you just don't know what's going on and you share in that. Oh, that reminds me of a thing. So the the accident that gets them out. Uh-huh. And they, they're, their father does not allow them to leave the apartment building mm-hmm. for their safety. Mm-hmm. So one day, I guess, they lean on the windows a lot. So one day, he's pushing on the window too hard, and he breaks the pane, and it slashes his arm up. Yeah. And so they have to go to the hospital. And so I was reading that scene, and I'm like, why is this scene included other than to show August? It's sort of August with other women. What did you, I was just wondering your your input on that scene and what you thought of it. Yeah, so I thought it was interesting. Um, I think that there are a lot of different ways that you can interpret it. And I don't know if I have the correct way. Um, You have a way. I have a way. So to me, it was kind of like, almost like a birth into this new world. Like for so long, they've been inside their little space in um, in the apartment. They've kind of looked outside, but they haven't really you know, engaged with Brooklyn yet. And mm-hmm. then there's this um, kind of violent, bloody incident that literally forces them into the world. Because after he cuts his arm open, the dad says, oh, well, maybe they want to go outside. And he lets them go out into the yard. And from there, they go out, you know, and out and out and out. So it, to me, that's kind of what I was thinking when I read it. Though I do remember that the it comes up again later when the father who um joins the nation of islam early in the book and then he kind of moves away from religion and then eventually comes back to it mm-hmm. um he's listening to his brothers and they're like yeah you know it could have been worse like they could have been hurt and it's kind of those it's in a passage that's kind of like uh later in the book Time is moving back and forth, and she's thinking about when she was 10 and when she was 20. And it's kind of in one of those periods where they're, she's looking at, she's situated in a period of time, but she's looking back at something. And the people that she's looking back at are looking back at an even farther away event. So I didn't know quite what to make of that, but I thought it was interesting that it did come back up again later in the book. Yeah. And there was also the implication that when he got into the Nation of Islam, the scar sort of lessened. Mm-hmm. Sort of, it was like a, see, like, so sort of, I guess, like a blessing or proof that by joining the Nation, like, ridding the trash from their bodies, because they started eating better, mm-hmm. that it would improve their lives. So, yeah, that scene just sort of, I liked it. I get, I just could not figure out why that scene, which felt a lot different than all the others, was mm. included in the novel. Yeah. So, so August is pretty interesting. Did you want to go on to what other girl girl would you want to move on to next? Because hmm. how about Angela next? Yeah, I was I liked Angela. 
she was she was I think Angela was handled I don't want to say the best but I just loved how her whole relationship with her mother was handled in the book yeah um because they never Angela does not tell the girls are really close with each other but she does not tell the girls who her mother is she lies about her apartment where she lives I think mm-hmm. she gives them an incorrect phone number mm-hmm. and so that happens in the book too we're not really told much of anything about Angela besides what the narrator observes mm-hmm. and so when they revealed did you catch that was her mother on the first no not on the first one to catch that uh-uh, definitely not yeah, so um, at one point, I think when they're still like in their in their locked in their room or stuck in their apartment, um, uh, August sees she sees a lot of people who are on heroin, kind of stumbling up and down the streets, and she very nonchalantly says, "Oh, I saw a woman reach for a stop sign to balance, but she misses," and then she walks around the corner, and then later she thinks about. She sees that same woman again. Angela has a reaction. And then even later still, we find out that that's Angela's mother. So it's kind of interesting that Angela has this... She's written that she has this other awareness that we're not privy to because August doesn't know about it. But mm-hmm. August is seeing her reaction because she's close to Angela and she's a part of Angela, but she doesn't quite understand Angela's struggle. So neither do we until they're all older. Right. And I guess even though she had, like, probably the... It seems like she has... Because we don't know who she's staying with. Mm-hmm. She has the worst... She comes from, like, the worst place. Because Sylvia's family is relatively whole and together. Right. Gigi, even though her mother is young, she has her mother. And Angela has her father. From what we can tell, Angela... Or August. August has her father. Mm-hmm. From what we can tell, Angela has no one. Right. Yet she is somehow able to overcome that and probably the most successful of the four girls she escapes she becomes a dancer Mm -hmm. and august as i said one day she watches her and she sees her on tv Mm -hmm. so they say she she, after her mother is found dead she is sent to i guess that's the beginning of the girls splitting up because she is sent to a foster home in long island well they're not even quite sure where she goes which again is kind of mirrors i think how adolescents think like they're mm-hmm. not sh- they know that Angela's away from them now and i think her line is like she might have gone to a foster home she might have gone to live with an aunt and oh, even though true. you know it's not that far away just the fact that she's not this immediate presence in their life anymore kind of disrupts everything that they know about Angela so all of a sudden like they they literally don't even know how to get to her anymore mm-hmm. which i thought was just really tragic yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, there is a line that's like, we didn't know we should have cared. Right. Or, or maybe that, that might have been in reference to Gigi, but they said, like, we we didn't know to embrace her and to help her through this. We just sort of said bye to her because we didn't know any better. Right. I think that's right after the mother gets discovered. Right. Right. And um, the passage where they're describing how they knew it was her mother, again, like, so sad, um, basically... Once the uh, Angela comes to August and she's like, I don't know where my mom is. And um, August is telling her it's fine. Your mom is totally fine. Kind of repeating the lie that August has had Mm -hmm. to tell to herself for, I think, probably a decade at that point. And Mm -hmm. so she stays with them for a while until eventually they go tell the police and the police say, "Um, yes, we found this woman 
um, on the rooftop, and she had a picture of her daughter in her possession, like in her pocket when she died. And Mm -hmm. um, August describes, like, someone who's working at the hospital seeing the picture and thinking, oh, God, like, I know this woman's daughter. Like, just, Mm -hmm. I don't know, that was one of the saddest parts of the book to me. Um, But it kind of, I think... Um, was such a more permanent death compared to, or at least in the narrative, it was like a concrete ending as um, compared to August's mother and how that was um, told to us, like very um, mysterious and nebulous versus this thing, which was so finite and direct, but August still couldn't um, come to terms with it. Yeah, she can't accept it. Yeah, she can't accept it. So, well, she says something. So, one of the she spends August spends the three days when the woman is missing, trying to convince Angela that she's fine and she's she is not the dead woman. And so she says to her, "She's not dead, Angela." I whispered again, "Don't believe them." But Angela wasn't me. Mm. So I thought that was also sort of interesting because at some point you can't tell if they're talking about her mother or Angela's mother because right. she. It gets repeated enough times, and then she starts reflecting on her own mother at some point that you don't know who she's talking about. Right. And I think that that passage is interesting, too, because like you said, that's really the first part where the first instance where this group starts to fracture and where mm-hmm. she we see the girls as individuals. And it's just interesting that line, Angela wasn't me, is in contrast to all the we, 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 we um, narration that's been happening up until this point where something very definite splits them. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel, I think Angela was probably, so at the end we said that Gigi is the one who dies. And I feel like if I was to expect anyone to die, I would have thought it was Angela. Definitely. So, yeah. Yeah. Because she, yeah. So let's talk about Gigi. Let's because talk Because for about all Gigi. the characters, even though Angela was the quietest, I felt like I did not, I had like, She's the one I knew the least. Ah, uh, yeah. To, oh, go ahead. Yeah, if I had to order them, I'd say we probably know the most about Angela, then Sylvia, or most about August, these A names, <laughs> most about August, then Sylvia, then Angela, and Gigi's the one I couldn't quite figure out. See, it was the exact opposite for me. I feel like in my first read-through, um, Gigi was the one who stuck out um, the most when I first read it, and she was the one who, you know, seemed to... To me, at least, to be um, the first person I could kind of pick out of the group of girls. And then Mm -hmm. after that, it was probably Sylvia and then Angela, because I feel like Angela's big revelations didn't happen until the end of the book. So it's interesting that we saw the two kind of differently. That's really interesting. So I have a semi-personal question feel free sure. to answer it's so it's implied that Gigi's sort of biracial right right or she has a background so like I guess it's kind of interesting seeing how people relate to the characters as to they relate sort of to their own thing because like I've had addicts in my family so as mm-hmm. soon as I saw that they mentioned the mother stumbling over the stop sign or the woman stumbling on the stop sign and August freezing up I'm like that's her mother mm. I sort of saw it on the first instance mm, and so I don't know if maybe Gigi did sort of struggle with her own background and at some point her mother tells her if only you had inherited like the dark skin and I don't know maybe I'm like projecting but I don't know if maybe maybe that's why 
she may have resonated more with you because you you have maybe more or you can relate more to that story. Possibly. Um, I do know that while I am mixed, um, though my mother is black, my father is white, and I, when I was growing up, um, I mean, I was aware of it, but I hadn't really thought that much about it. I think because most of the women in my life were, um, you know, the adult women and my cousins were black, my teachers, Mm -hmm. you know, so I never really questioned my own place, like within, you know, blackness, because I was just like, well, everyone around me is black. Plus, my dad's Italian, so he's got darker skin anyway. So Mm -hmm. I never... I wasn't one of those like tragic mulatto figures, you, yeah. <laughs> you know, pass or anything. Though I do remember once we were in a hair care store and this old lady came, old white lady came and she was touching my hair and she was like, are you mixed? I was like, <gasps> I guess so. And then she was like, my mom like ran up cause she saw someone touching her child. And the woman was like, Oh, mulattas have the best hair. And my mom like That's ran us out of the store. Creepy. So (laughs) it's definitely like something that's been in my mind. And I think when she was like looking in the mirror and the mother was like telling her like, oh, don't go out in the sun and stuff. Those aren't things that I personally dealt with as a child. But I do remember like talking to other mixed people, especially mixed women whose mothers are white. It seems like that is kind of a struggle for mixed women. I've just always kind of reflected on why that hasn't been like something for me. I don't know. I think, like I said, I I recognize it, but it's because it's been something that's expected. Like other people have expected me to have these feelings, but Mm -hmm. so I don't know, maybe that's. (laughs) Well, and on the flip side, Mm -hmm. I wasn't mean to apply the tragic mulatto thing. On the flip side, it's Mm -hmm. also implied that Gigi is prettier than some of the other girls because she has like unique eyes that they say Uh, was brought brought on by like, I guess, a a Chinese relative on her father's side or her mother's side. I think so. Yeah. So there are these, like, she has these mixed, quote unquote, mixed attributes that make her stand out and that are seen as prettier than some of the other girls. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. I don't, know. I don't know if there's a thing there, but I, I thought, like, well, it's interesting that that's the character you place, and I didn't, whereas on the flip side with Angela, that's the character. I was like, I know that. I know what's going on with her, whereas Angela, I wasn't quite as yeah, in tuned with. I could see that, just because, uh, <clears throat> you know, it's something maybe you personally aren't dealing with, but it's something that you know because of the circumstances. Like, there were a lot of things that I was reading in this book, and I was like, oh, wow, like, that's, you know, very true to life of being a young black woman, especially mm-hmm. a lot of the things. And I don't know if it was Gigi who's, I think, molested or raped by the guy in her. Yes. I wasn't yeah. sure. She's yeah. attacked by a, a soldier, I think. He's yeah, a, or a they can imply he's a, a veteran. And a heroin addict, hanging. I think. Yeah, because he's found overdosed dead three days later. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and I could not imply if he just sort of jumped out and groped her. Right. Or because... We hear all that happens is her shirt is ripped. Right. Her shirt torn at the shoulder. It doesn't say anything about her skirt or her pants or anything else. So she, it is implied that she's jumped, but she also says, my mom will say it was my fault. Right. Which to me reads as very loaded language in terms of like a rape. Right. But definitely. It also c- 
Yeah, but it could just also be an assault. So I'm sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. Oh, no, it's fine. That was a good synopsis. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, it kind of reminds you of when, and I don't know if you had experiences like this, but when you're a young girl, like there are these dangers in the world that you don't quite Mm -hmm. understand yet, and it kind of freaks you out, and they're like all these old men kind of either like looking at you or something. And Mm -hmm. it's just like this unsafeness that makes you turn into or turn towards other girls for for protection even if you can't if even if they can't really protect themselves yeah they were um like sticking razor blades in their they were protecting themselves the way that they could they were sticking razor mm-hmm. blades in their hair or in their socks sort of, <laughs> yeah but they said they wanted to put it in their hair like uh I, I just love that line like in coffee Pam Greer yeah. <laughs> it reminds me, and like, I probably won't be able to find it. Oprah, Oprah's back up in this episode. Oprah said something because Oprah was molested as a child, and she said something like, No girl child is safe in like a world full of men or something. Mm. And that is probably not the, it is not a word for a quote. I can't find the word for word quote, and I'm mm-hmm. typing every Google search I can to find it. But it, <laughs> I was thinking of that throughout this whole book because every time men are mentioned in this book, so the second you know they're talking about that vet, it's, with the exception of maybe her father and her brother, mm-hmm. every other man is sort of like they want something, they're a sexual predator. There's the shoe, there's the cobbler guy mm-hmm. who straight up offers the children quarters yeah. to see flashes of their panties. Yeah, that's just gross. To, that is disgusting. <laughs> to Jerome, who... Who he's not a straight up predator, but he is just really icky. He's dating August for a while, right? When he's every, eighteen and she's, she's thirteen. Still, I think she's still thirteen. So yeah, you know what? He is a predator. I'm gonna amend my previous statement. <laughs> he's a predator. And when she says yeah. no, he leaves her and yes. quickly goes well, on to another girl. It. I thought it was interesting because she says no to him for a really long time. And maybe this is a transition into um, Sylvia, because it seems like August, they all get these little boyfriends one summer when Mm -hmm. they're, you know, 13 or so. 13, 14. 13, 14. And it seems like they're all, they all start off by saying like, we'll do this with you. We'll do that with you. But they're, they're still not actually having sex with these, with these guys, with these older guys. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, you see that in a story. You see that especially in a story, maybe we're conditioned to see stories about young black girls that are full of tragedy and, or, you know, again, that tragic mulatto story um, <laughs> where they're taking advantage of guy uh, of, they're taking advantage, or guys take advantage of them. Sorry, it's mm-hmm. um, earlier here than it is for Danielle. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I thought it was interesting that... It, August's story kind of subverts that where she is able to say no to him and, you know, really get what she wants out of this relationship until he finally says, okay, fine, and leaves her. And she doesn't seem that bothered by it at first. Yeah, no, she's not not torn up at it at all. And I don't think she's even torn up about it when she sees him with Sylvia. I think she's more hurt by Sylvia's quote-unquote betrayal than she is by seeing him with Jerome, than Jerome's. Right. And it is interesting that Sylvia, you know, who's the smart one, who's the wealthier one, who comes from the whole family, is the one to kind of, um, you know, play into that, that typical storyline of, you know, getting with an older guy, getting pregnant, 
cheating, I guess. Um, and then instead of, again, like you said, um, August turning her anger toward toward Jerome, she has that that second big break with with Sylvia. And that's mm-hmm. what kind of fractures the group beyond repair. Yeah, even more. Mm-hmm. I don't want to skip too fast to Sylvia because I don't want to skip uh, over Gigi because Gigi is probably the most tragic ending. Ah, uh, yes. Like, that broke my heart. So at the end of the book, after so after Angela has been sent to wherever she's been sent, after August sees Sylvia with Jerome, Gigi tries to bring the girls together by inviting them to see her perform in a show. Right. And so she has the play... We hear that her voice cracks on like a keynote, and like people in the audience actually laugh at it. And worse than that, no one shows up to the play, not even her mother, from what it right. reads like. And so afterwards, I guess there's the cast party in a hotel, and she jumps off the balcony. Right. And August sort of describes it like very August, or I guess Jacqueline Woodson describes it. And it's very poetic. She like imagines her uh, Gigi's hair had been growing out by that point, so she wonders if it flies out behind her right. like wings. I did want to read this passage because I thought it was like it probably affected me the most out of any passage in the book. Um, mm-hmm. uh, she says, "Who is there to see Gigi lift her heels up and fly? That year, her hair had grown long past her back. Most days, she pulled it up into a braid." But on the evenings of the performance, she'd worn it out, letting it fan over her shoulders. Did it lift like a dark wing until the Chelsea night? Did she really believe there was nothing on the other side of 15? And like when I was reading that part, and especially when I was listening to it, because I think I listened to this part first and went back and read it. Like I didn't Mm -hmm. quite know what was going on until she said nothing on the other side of 15. And it just kind of like hits you in the gut like. Oh my god. It's that it's that sneaky writing. It's a it's sneaky like... kind of really effective writing that just grabs you by your emotions. Um because like you said, I'm sure there's I a wasn't... technical term for that. I'm calling it sneaky writing. <laughs> I like sneaky writing. <laughs> well, I don't I don't like sneaky writing because it makes me sad. <laughs> oh, I like yeah. it that it's it's very it's very effective and it's almost it's... like poetry the it way really, that yeah. this is even structured on the page. Um, but it, it's broken yeah. out into, yeah, little paragraphs and yeah. Yeah. So that, that, that really got to me because as you were saying earlier, you know, I didn't, this is subverting a lot of, um, kind of, uh, tropes or plot points that you might see in a typical coming of age story. Mm-hmm. And you wouldn't, in a typical story, Gigi would have been the one who went on and, I don't know, uh, became fam- a famous actress or something. Yeah. Uh, a Broadway star. A Broadway something. star, something like that. But yeah, there was no, there was no end for her besides this, which I just wasn't expecting. And you're kind of reading it again. I was kind of, I get, there's, so there's certain points, and I think we touched on this, that don't make sense until you go back and read it again. Mm-hmm. So there's the whole point when her voice cracks and like people in the set, everyone laughed. I heard later the whole auditorium. Everyone, everyone. We didn't mean to. We didn't know. Yeah. And when you first read it, you don't know what they don't know. Mm-hmm. And it's not until you hear like the implied effect of that laughter, the implied effect of no one showing up, that she went and ha- and felt that she had no option, but and jumped off of a balcony. That it's like 
it sounds like regret now. Right. Whereas before, it's just, it's a confusing line. Right. Oh, sneaky writing. I love it. <laughs> yeah, so oh, tragic end for poor, for poor Gigi. Gigi. I had to do the math. If a Gigi was mm-hmm. 15 or something and her mother came, she was, if she was, let me see, she came when she was 11 or 10 mm. because she says her mother wanted to spend her 21st birthday in New York, mm. which kind of creeped me out, which means like, so how young was her mother when she had her? Yeah. Yeah. It seemed like the mother was quite young, though we don't like get, teen- oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say teenage mother, but I typically think teenage mother, like 15, 16, 17 at least. I think no, she has to be. She, she has older, older than younger. younger. That. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, we don't we don't hear much about Gigi's mother. We do have that scene where she's looking into the mirror with Gigi and telling her, don't go in the sun. But other than that, Gigi's mother is mostly defined by her absence. Like, um, Well, doesn't she appear in the one scene when she when they go to the, the um, she's going to an audition? And she yes. shows up with what everyone says is a very beautiful, young-looking woman. And mm-hmm. it's like, that's her. And, and they're surprised because they're like, oh, I'm, you know, where's, where's she been? What? Yeah. Like, I guess that's her. Like, um, August's father definitely has a presence in the book. Sylvia's parents mm-hmm. have a presence in the book. But <laughs> I think that... <laughs> interestingly, and interesting enough, no, not her mother. It's her father we see the most of. That's true. It is the father, which we will get to him (laughs) but uh, one final thing about uh, Gigi and this passage that I really liked was the fact that um, she talks about Gigi's hair being down out of the braid um, on her Mm -hmm. final night and I think it's interesting that Gigi is introduced um, and then described later as how the other girls are braiding her hair and it's Mm kind of like this part where you know, each of them is a strand in the braid and they're trying to put her together after the incident with the soldier, after her mother saying these weird things. But on this last mm-hmm. night, like she doesn't have the braid. She's, you know, their her bond is lo- loose. Yeah, her hair is loose and their bond is kind of broken because they weren't there for her. Um, oh, I love that. What's that? I love that. Huh? Like. Every, like, the more we talk about it, the more little things I sort of discovered that I didn't look at the first time. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. Yeah, so. All right, so. Go ahead. (laughs) I know, we're both talkers. (laughs) Let's move on to Sylvia. Sylvia. Sylvia, I think, was probably the second most important character in the group beside August. She is the one who sort of spurs August to start having this flashback, and she sees her on the train. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She is the one, it's implied that the girls sort of want to be mm-hmm. because she she has this family. She has four older sisters. She sort of like, look, she has her own room that's painted pink mm-hmm. and a, a record player and all these sort of neat things. And she seems to move throughout the world with a confidence that I guess they all wish they had. Mm-hmm. And I think that was really relatable because I think we, everyone at one point can remember being a child and seeing some other child who seems to have it a bit more together and wanting to be like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, let's talk about Sylvia. You had thoughts about Sylvia's father, so let's start there. (laughs) Okay, so Sylvia um, is uh, the daughter of immigrant parents, and I think that that's a really interesting distinction. Mm -hmm. And I just want to tell another personal story if we have time. Um, No, it's fine. Because uh, recently, one of my coworkers, we were talking about the scholarship we're putting together and um she referred to me and she said yeah 
my coworker, who is half Dominican and half Italian, and then she went, kept going. And I was like, Dominican? <laughs> I was like, I'm, well, I'm not Dominican. And, uh, you know, this is a person that I adore her. Um, we've known each other two years now, but just for two years, she thought I was Dominican. Dominican. And I was like, no. And then she's like, well, if you don't mind me asking, like, what is, you know? And I was like, well, just black. And then she was like, well, what does that mean? And I was like, huh. Like, I, you know, it's something that if you are black and you say, well, I'm black American versus Dominican, like that has a lot of meaning, that has a lot of uh, mm-hmm. history, that might have some personal slights in there. But um, just that it, other, maybe the, the world at large isn't making or isn't aware of these distinctions among black people um, to me that they got it so pitch perfect with uh, Sil- the, Sylvia and her parents, um, her parents' view of August and the Friends, the par- mm-hmm. all these different ways that um, different black people are viewing each other, I just thought was pitch perfect. Um, so Sylvia is having an immigrant experience. Um, her parents are, I think that they're probably... I don't know that they're wealthy, but they're better off than, um, you know, a lot of people in the neighborhood. And her father has a view of black Americans that's pretty disparaging. Um, I think he's introduced by saying, like, what do you know? Let's see. Did we understand her father wanted to know the Negro problem in America? Which is kind of a heavy question to ask a 12 year old. (laughs) But he has this. Well, oh, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. I'll come back. You're still on the phone. Go ahead. Yeah, so he has this kind of view of Black Americans that um, I have heard, you know, my friends who have that immigrant experience, sometimes their family members have these negative views of Black Americans that um, they're lazy or violent or whatever you would see, however you see us depicted on the news, like that, those stereotypical attitudes are pervasive within, you know, the Black community as well. And um, it's just interesting to see, you know, this on display and him treating the girls differently because he had this idea of what a black American was and Mm -hmm. he wanted to keep his daughter separate from that. He didn't want her to be a black American because he had such a negative view of black Americans. Well, and at one point, I guess Sylvia is laughing too loudly in the house. And her older sister comes and smacks her. Mm-hmm. And she puts it much more crudely than the father, where she says, don't try to act like a dusty, dirty black American, Sylvia's sister said. And like right. she wears this handprint on her face for like a few days. Right, right. So, but despite that, she, it's not, a, it doesn't seem like she lets her parents, she sneaks them in the house when the family's not there. Mm-hmm. Sylvia still seems to care for the girls. And she has to sort of balance being the daughter that her parents want her to be while still having the friends she wants to have and do what she wants to do. Right. Which, which I think... Make, oh, go ahead. What I was going to say, which probably plays into her being the more rebellious one, because she's also the baby. Mm-hmm. So I could see it. You have all these people from all sides telling you how to behave, what to do, and then when she's out with her friends who are and the boys, she can do what she wants, which sort of is probably why she ends up with Jerome and not to do that cliche, like, they rebel because you are overly strict, but that's what it seems like to me. Yeah, and it seems like it. Um, one thing that I have heard, you know, first-generation people say is that, you know, it's harder to test your boundaries because your parents are very strict. Maybe they're afraid 
you know, they're in a totally different environment. They're in a totally new mm-hmm. situation. They're going to hold on to you a lot harder, I think, than someone who doesn't have that that fear or that um, they're trying to, like, find their own footing. But they've got this teenager who's more American than they are. And, you know, you're stuck between these two worlds. And mm-hmm. I think that's where Sylvia was. She wanted to be, you know, a certain type of girl who you know, went out with guys and um, I think was she singing or she did, she had to create a passion and the other girls were saying, you should pursue this. And she said, no, I had to study law because that's what my dad wants me to do. Because, you know, Mm -hmm. you think lawyers are a very stable profession. (laughs) Um, And she... Oh, she has to do law first. She has to do law first. Exactly. Yeah. So. So. It there does seem to be at some point after he speaks to August's father where he at least softens slightly because he sees that he's a man of faith. Right. But it's the rest of the girls. And then Angela, Angela doesn't even, she sort of lies and she won't even let him attempt to call right. her family because she knows there's no one there. Right. So. Yeah. And so, so she is implied she ends up getting pregnant by Jerome. Yes. And despite being in the private school, despite her father pulling her away from these negative influences, she still sort of does what she wants to do. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. Oh, Sylvia. Oh, Sylvia. Yeah, Sylvia <laughs> was definitely, I think, the most developed of the other girls. I think that you mm-hmm. hear the most about Sylvia and her home life and all these things. Even though I think she's the first one to kind of separate from the other girls when her father pulls her out of the public school and puts her in private school. Like we still, and I don't know if it's because um, August has this admiration for her. She wants to be like her. So maybe she was watching Sylvia a little more closely than the other girls. Um, But we definitely see a lot of Sylvia. Um, And like you said, she is the one who initiates this whole flashback when... She mm-hmm. sees August on the the train and says hi to her, and August just straight up bounces like, yes. no thanks. It's not her stop. Yeah. <laughs> and I was wondering, like, oh my god, what did this girl do, um, to just make her wanna, you know, completely disassociate with her? Yeah. I guess that was our answer. And I think that's kind of like sad too. The the fact that they shared like they were amazingly close as girls and now just the sight of her mm-hmm. sends her running the other way mm-hmm. so it's just there's one other character before we sum up that I would like to touch on and that is the character of Jenny and her daughters or children she has a, a baby boy uh, and a little girl mm-hmm. so Jenny moves into August's the family the building that August and her father and her brother live in mm-hmm. it is She's a prostitute. It's implied yeah. as such, and possibly a drug user. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I wasn't I think sure so. because. She... And so, she's interesting just because I guess it's less about her and more about the children, because they end up caring for the children better than Jenny herself can. The children are dropped off by a woman. We don't know who the woman is. I'm assuming possibly with um, protective services. Possibly, yeah. I wasn't quite sure who she was. Like if she was a relative. She... Or... Social yeah. services, I'm not sure. It's a plot. She wears a suit, like, so that kind of detail makes me think, like, well, she must be some kind of professional, mm-hmm. like, and she drops the children off, 
And as soon as they're dropped off, Sylvia or Jenny sends them to August's apartment saying she's going to get them food. Mm-hmm. And then she comes back, doesn't pick them up, and they eventually have to go take them up to the apartment where she seems kind of she's stoned mm-hmm. or high or something. So I thought the children were interesting just because when the girls are all first introduced, they talk about like this hunger. Mm-hmm. Like Angela had a hunger and they all have a hunger. And then you have the physical hunger with the children mm-hmm. and how you just have this neighborhood full of hungry children. Yeah. Whether they are starving physically like Jenny's children or they are hungry for something more yeah nurturing or or like emotion emotional right. hunger right yeah no that's that's an interesting point because um hunger is it does play out as you said and then it seems like they're getting like little bits of nourishment here and there but it never seems to be enough like when they're lined mm-hmm. up around the block the summer of the power outage and they have to get, like, these little uh, sack lunches. And she says, like, you know, hoping that there's a neighbor working there that'll slip them extra food. They're look, Gigi's mm-hmm. looking toward the other girls for support. Um, August is um, looking to her father or looking to her father's girlfriends to fill that, that hunger for a mother. So it seems like they're trying to nourish themselves as best that they can or... Um, uh, her, you know, feeding junk food and stuff to the little kids, but it's it's mm-hmm. never quite enough. It's never enough to get them what they need to be healthy. Yeah, because anything they put in front of them, they eat. Mm-hmm. And it seems like they always seem to be crying of hunger. And then there's the interesting scene about that sort of stuck with me was she talks about the ice cream truck and how, like, yeah, they were poor, but... Mm-hmm. They weren't as poor as the kids who couldn't even go to the ice cream truck. Right. And get a cone. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, there was so some... She, she's mm-hmm. aware... Yeah. She's aware that they're poor, but not... She's also aware that they're not as bad off as others in the neighborhood. Right. So. Right. What she does, again, going back to that first paragraph, um, she does say, uh, like, my story could have been worse. Mm-hmm. Which, um, you know, yeah, mine could have been a more tragic story. Which is interesting because, again, it's foreshadowing basically the whole book. Like, she's got these struggles, but she is one of the ones who made it out or is still living mm-hmm. at the very right. least. Or, she, yeah, she came out of it and, made, and got something that would be considered success. Yeah. There is one I, other character that I think we should talk about. Oh, yay. Uh, Sister Loretta. Um, ah, Sister Loretta. Yeah, who is, um, like, a member of the Nation of Islam who comes, um, who the father has come into their house. I'm not sure if this is the dad's girlfriend or not. That wasn't totally clear to me. Um, did you? Did you? I, I assume that they were together in some sort of, like, it may not be a romantic love, mm-hmm. but it may have been, like, we're we're gonna become a family sort of thing because when she disappears, he starts seeing other right. women and starts drinking again. Right. Like not he's not a heavy drinker, but the Nation of Islam doesn't drink alcohol. Period. Right. And she, um, uh, August does have a whole passage where she's talking about all the pork that they're eating and how much she likes eating yes. pork, and then Sister pork. Loretta comes in, which I thought was hilarious. Yeah. Um, that's the first interaction she has with her brother at the very beginning of the book. It's him berating her or something like still eating that pork. And she's like, yeah. 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 So I think that if this was a story narrated by um, the brother, I think that 
Miss Loretta, our sister Loretta, would have had a much bigger presence because mm-hmm. it seems like she really became that mother figure to him. It seems like mm-hmm. uh, August was really fond of her, that she brought a lot of stability, but she never quite transitioned to that mother figure that August was always looking for. Right. And then at the end, I don't know that she really converts to um, Islam the way that her brother and father do. Right. But Sister Loretta is a very good, she's a very good presence. She doesn't fill in that stereotypical, like, she lets the children talk about their mother. She listens to mm-hmm. Angela, um, and she helps, she cleans the apartment. Yeah, she's it's cooking like, for she them. She prepares the meals. Yeah, yeah. she's playing Monopoly she's with them, presence. hugging them. Mm-hmm. So she is a really strong, positive presence in their life. But it doesn't seem like she quite makes that transition for August the way that she did for the brother. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to compare how she is described as one of her father's women as opposed to, like, the other women. Right. Like, they, they have to, like, beg and plead to see. She keeps herself. She's much more, I guess, distant and appropriate about it. Like, she, I don't think she ever sleeps over. I don't think so. And um, they have to, like, beg and plead just to see her hair under her hijab. And when she finally does, that's only after she checks to make sure her father... Isn't around. There's no chance that the father will walk in. Right. And then as opposed to when she leaves, August accidentally walks in on one of the women, like, half naked. And she talks about how she's able to see her her breath. Right, which is interesting, you know. And again, I think she... August is, like... She's like, oh, Miss Loretta, you could tell that she's low-key thick. But um, she's always got, um, you know, she's always dressed modestly versus, you know, these other women who are going to just smoke in the the kitchen and wait for someone to bring them food um, and be yeah. naked. So it's kind of an interesting juxtaposition. Well, who don't eat? Yeah, well, who don't even know she's there? Because when she walks in on the one woman, she's like, oh, are you his daughter? Right, right. So, yeah, it's interesting. Very interesting. Uh, the women and then so that sort of also kind of leads to sister Sonia who this is another situation where I did not understand it until the book was over mm -hmm. from what I could tell and correct me if I'm Mm -hmm. wrong sister Sonia is a therapist I think so yeah who sort of helped yeah because she August had been going so long in denial about her mother's death that it from what I can tell it implied that she was I don't think it's as an adult. It was I, as a young adult. Yeah, I think when she's like, about 15 or so, she gets so depressed that she stops speaking. Yeah. And that's goes, when. Yeah. yeah. So she sent to Sister Sonia and she, all she, whenever I think of Sister Sonia, I just think of the hijab. She describes her thin fingers taking notes and she describes this crawling ivy mm-hmm. that's in the office. So it does feel like there's a therapy sort of setup. Right. And so she was the one I couldn't really get a grasp on her for the longest, but it wasn't until again after you read the book. Yeah. And everything sort of clicks that you sort of see what the importance of that was. Definitely, because at first you kind of think that, you know, she's going to talk to this person and you don't quite know who she is. You think, "Oh, well, this is just someone who's going to like not pay attention to her or anything." Um, but later you find out that she I think she is like a licensed psychologist because she has like her degrees up she's very helpful um she really gets uh august through this this depression and it's it's again another type of reversal like at first you don't know quite who she is or what she wants or you might think that the father is just kind of pawning 
August off. I'll go talk to this lady because I don't know how to help you. But it does seem like she, again, is another portrayal of um, black women um, being just everywhere. Like, okay, well, you need a psychologist. Why can't she be black and Muslim? Like, I thought that was just awesome to see all these different depictions and all these different roles that they can play. All the characters, like all the different, I think going back, even though we said we wouldn't, going back to Queen Sugar, when she tried to show the different types of womanhood, mm-hmm. and I don't want to like dump on that author too much because that's not polite, but I think this was a much more, it's much more brushed, like expanded, it's much more brushed out and much more fleshed out mm-hmm. in the type of womanhood that she's encountering. She sees both the prostitutes and the drug addicts and the the professional psychologist and the mm-hmm. and the, the dancers, dancers and things. And, yeah, she So Yeah. It could also I wonder if setting might have a role in that. If we're gonna just to be fair, mm-hmm. Queen Sugar did take place in like rural Louisiana mm-hmm. where this is in like Brooklyn, New York, one of the most diverse cities in the country. Maybe That's true. Yeah. So But I will say that they are close enough to New Orleans, I think, in Queen Sugar. Um, to see a little bit more diversity than they did. And I think that that's where the TV show is really excelling because you they did mm-hmm. add um, Rutina, and I'm going to screw up her last name, Wesley, um, <laughs> Tara from True Blood. So they've added, okay. <laughs> they've added her character and she's like, you know, she's a professional. She's a, uh, she's a newspaper reporter, but she's also kind of got this bohemian side and she's like really into the mysticism versus Charlie, who's, you know, this basketball wife, highly polished versus Aunt Violet, who is a, you know, a sweet figure, church going. So I think, in, I think that it, I do agree that the setting probably lends more toward um, uh, that diversity that we liked um, in another Brooklyn. But I don't think that, you know, there's just no one else was around in Queen Sugar. And I think she could have done a little bit better incorporating the different types of people that she was meeting. I don't know. That was (laughs) long-winded. No. I get it, yeah. So, and I think that was a different type of book. It definitely yeah. wasn't coming of eight, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it could have been because but, um, who knew what was going on in Charlie's head. <laughs> speaking of diversity, I do want to touch on. I think it's interesting how white flight sort of took place mm-hmm. in the background, mm-hmm. and so just sort of touched on that. It's implied that every like it only happens. I can only think of two scenes where it happens, but there are a couple scenes where August describes like. They tend to be elderly white people who are living, still living in the neighborhood, and they have their children who come and visit and bring their children with them. Mm-hmm. And the grandchildren don't play with the the neighborhood kids in the street. Mm-hmm. And then eventually, what happens is the adult children come back for their parents, pack up their houses, and move them out of the neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was definitely you know um, a book of the time and really describing in a poetic manner how these neighborhoods were changing. Like if you wrote this, and I think you probably could write this maybe today, maybe from 15 years ago where the exact opposite was happening with gentrification. And I don't know, it kind of angered up my blood a little bit. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, it's it's irritating to see. Yeah, but it was just, again, it's, it gets you writing your emotions, the way that she describes how the children won't play with them, how the adults don't really talk to them, but this is this is their neighborhood. Like, they live there. Mm-hmm. And so, and they're like, the kids are just playing with tops in the street, mm-hmm. yet they're being looked at but- and glared at by adults, and they're checking their cars to make sure nothing is being taken from them so right yeah so i think i think we got the gist i do want to say though that there are like so many passages that i highlighted just because i loved the language but they Mm -hmm. don't necessarily play into the plot Mm -hmm. like the one of i think the one the first one i recorded was for god so loved the world their father would say he gave his only begotten son but what about his daughters i wondered what did god do with his daughters and so i think that could just just sort of sum up the entire book yeah, about if, like what happens to the girls. Yeah. If you wanted to put a quotation, oh. like that sums up this book, like on the cover that that's the one I think. Yeah. So the um, writing was just gorgeous. We've said that gorgeous. already, but I feel like we could say it again. Um, now I will say that this reminded me a lot of another book that I read it came out a couple of years ago. It's called we, the animals um, by Justin Torres. And it is about three brothers um, who are living with their young mother and father and kind of growing. It's another coming of age story. And it's Mm -hmm. um, written, again, entirely in the third person plural, as it's narrated by the youngest of these three brothers. And then eventually it does split as they grow older. Another really short book, another really, really poetic, but just the similarities between the two if you like this book I would definitely give that give that a read um because it's again just really beautiful um really cap captures I think the way that children think of themselves in relation to others that's interesting because I haven't read that Mm -hmm. one but it did also remind me of it reminded me of two Mm -hmm. books it reminded me of the awakening for obvious reasons Mm -hmm. where the mother Mm -hmm. walks into the ocean I don't know what it is with literature women and like drowning themselves (laughs) I'm sure that there is a paper somewhere that discusses oh I'm sure some PhD has done their dissertation on it but the second book it reminded me of was more recent was Celeste Ng's um everything I never told you Mm mm-hmm I'm hoping that's the right. Time. And in that, it's sort of flipped, wherein it's the daughter. Mm-hmm. This is not a spoiler. It says it in the first chapter, but um, it's the eldest daughter who died, who is apparently commits mm-hmm. suicide by drowning herself. And it's sort of the the outcome of that on the parents and on the other siblings. Mm-hmm. So if I had a lot of that sort of flash, like that would come up a lot as well because the parents. Did not. It's interesting to see it from the parents' side, and then to read it mm-hmm. in another book from the child's mm-hmm. side. So, and that book had a lot going on too. So, yeah. <laughs> but I think unless we have, was there anything we didn't discuss? I think we have done a pretty good, yeah, discussion of this book. It's a very little book, but I feel like you could talk about it definitely and once read you... it over and over again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Once you drill down into the language. And, like, really think about the passages and the symbolism. Like, you could spend a lot of time with this book beyond just the mm-hmm. just the minimal or kind of compact plot. I think the, the simplicity of the plot kind of, uh, again, it's tricky writing for a really complex uh, mm-hmm. novel and set of ideas. Yeah. So, And at first I was thinking, well, this is a very short 
read like mm-hmm. cause when I bought it on ebook it was literally 66 pages mm-hmm. in ebook mm-hmm. form and it's like no it's not it's very very few pages <laughs> lots and lots of going lots and lots of going yes on, so. definitely I think it's safe to say we both recommend it absolutely definitely say read this book it's very good the language is very beautiful it's long listed for a book award so you could say you you read it yeah so really well deserved when it wins <laughs> hopefully yeah so it really makes me want to go read her memoir brown girl dreaming yes so i may have to check that out next yeah i i think it was interesting that um uh the author i guess is known for ya uh young adult fiction mm-hmm. Which um, this could have been, you know, young adult fiction, absolutely. But it was, um, there's nothing really in it that, you know, a 14, 15, 16 year old couldn't process um, because I think it's so much of that age range. But it, it definitely was accessible for adults. Like it's not talking down or dumbing down any of its ideas. So if you know someone in that age, age range who's a vivid or avid reader, then I would absolutely suggest this I would have loved to have read this when I was like 14 15 years old and mm-hmm. then again when I was you know my current age and I think I would get <laughs> different things out of it things out. Mm-hmm. this sort of raises the question mm-hmm. and like this is a whole nother discussion but I wondered like what makes something as I said this is books about teenagers and there isn't really anything subject wise it's all in the in the connotations mm-hmm. and like what you know as an adult Mm -hmm. what makes something YA I guess is what I was thinking about like if this was written for young adults Mm -hmm. what changes would she have made maybe she would have made things more explicit maybe I don't know yeah that's a really good question but um you know my feelings about YA yes I'm 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 really over YA (laughs) I get really mad when I see a story and it sounds really interesting and like the highlight is like they have to deal with high school or something or I don't know. I don't I'm over YA. Yeah, I, I don't get it. I feel like a lot of YA kind of dumbs things down. Like we had a very long discussion once about uh who's that guy? You know that guy. John Green? Yes, see, you know that guy. <sighs> and just how I read like Yeah, yeah well. how the writing in that book compares to the writing in this book. And I'm not saying like, oh, everyone should be to Jacqueline's level because obviously she is this amazing writer. But it just shows you that maybe sometimes they're not putting in the effort to really, I don't know, challenge younger readers with their prose um, or with their ideas. Maybe that's the difference. But I don't know that if from what I've heard of Brown Girl Dreaming, which I think is young adult, um, Mm -hmm. I don't know that it it falls into those kind of traps that we dislike about YAA fiction. I think that it's that is respectful of the readers in a way that a lot of YA mainstream that you kind of see doesn't always. I personally have nothing against YA. Mm -hmm. I just think it's, it's overhyped and it's sort of saturated the market Mm -hmm. to a point where like, I'll follow a lot of book blogs and a lot of things. And like, they'll have whole separate articles and sections and like podcasts just on young adult fiction. And it's like, okay, that's great. Everyone's doing that. Mm -hmm. Now, if I want to find X, Y, Z, where do I find that? But you can't because it's sort of in the way. I read, there was a game I read or a book I read that was YA that I thought was pretty, that dealt with topics at an age appropriate level. It was like the game between love and death. Mm-hmm. So that was definitely YA mm-hmm. and it was pretty interesting. But um, yeah, maybe yeah, one whole... day we can revisit our YA discussion because I think it was good. 
Um, but I think that we'll be here another <laughs> two hours. 20 minutes. Yeah, we don't need to do that. So so let's wrap up. What are you currently reading? Okay, so I just recently finished um, Outlander because I was looking for another <gasps> series. Have you read that? <laughs> No, but I know what it is. So hearing you that you read it cracks me up. Yeah, so I was like, oh, I really want another series. As I read on this Winds of Winter, which I don't know will ever come out. But, um, I, you know, I was looking at all the blogs and they were like, read Outlander, read Outlander. So I read it. <laughs> um, yeah. I, <laughs> the, That's the quote. Um, yeah, put yeah. that on the cover with my name. Uh, it, it it was it was good. It came out in the eighties, right? I think the so. I feel like 90s, that alone should give it some nineties. Yeah, it was either de- way, it came out like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, I feel like it should be for some forgiveness on that level. Yes. Yeah, so I, I I read the first one. It was it was good. It was fine. I started the second one. wasn't that much into it. So I don't know if I'm gonna continue so currently i'm searching for a new book to read um besides our next pick which i think we'll get to in a bit yes in a, like a few yeah. seconds um i am currently reading on writing by stephen king mm. i'm actually listening uh-huh. to it i like i realized i need to up i've been really slacking on my reading mm. like it's embarrassing my goodreads challenge is like 20 books behind oh. so i'm like <laughs> yes terrible. Yo, can you explain so your like, goodreads challenge because i always see you on twitter and i'm like oh my gosh like Danielle's so cool she's doing a challenge i don't know what that's about but i don't want to ask <laughs> oh no it's super basic so like the goodreads website every mm-hmm. year you can set a you can set a challenge on the number of books you want to read mm-hmm. so like mine is very simple it was like 48. I'm like, that's two a month. And mm. I don't know what happened, but like, mm-hmm. I guess between moving and school and everything, I just sort of like stopped. Actually, I sort of know what happened. Sometimes if I read a book that I don't particularly like uh. or enjoy, I still feel like I have to, well, I like it. It's Untamed State. I'm still reading an Untamed oh, State. Oh, but yeah, there. you need a lot. You need to like block it's out hard. like a lost weekend yeah. to get through. <laughs> so it's like, I don't pick it up and read it, but I also feel hesitant to start something new until I finish the book I'm currently reading, so I get, like, stuck. Mm. So, but the Goodreads challenge is just, you set a challenge, like, this is the number of books I want to read, uh, and you set it. So for 2016, it's, like, 48 books I put, and I'm, like, 20 books behind. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, uh. it's bad. So <laughs> that's all it is. So I'm, like, I need to maximize my reading time, so I'm, like, there's no reason when I'm at work... I should be listening to an audiobook. Yeah. I have Audible. Yeah, I have Audible. I have a whole bunch of books on there that I bought on like sale, mm-hmm. so I should listen to them. So one of them was Stephen King's On Re- On mm-hmm. Writing. He narrates it. Um I've read somewhere on a blog that like if you are a writer or if you enjoy writing or any like the craft of writing, it's definitely one you should check Interesting. out. Interesting. So. so that's what I'm doing right now in an untamed state, which is gonna haunt me for the rest of the oh, year. Oh that's Roxanne Gay, right? Yes, and yeah. it's like she gets kidnapped, and there's violence and sexual assault. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, I really a happy book. I really liked. Was it bad feminist? What is bad her? feminist? Yes, yeah, mm-hmm. so love bad feminist. Gave it to my mom. She was like, "Oh, my mom's a professor." She was, she was like, "Oh my goodness, this is speaking to me in some ways." And I was like, "Yes," and we talked about it. it was great. And then I was like, "Oh, I want to read more of Roxanne Gay." So I was like looking at an untamed <laughs> state. I started reading the reviews. I was like. I don't know if I'm old enough for this book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's intense. Yeah. So, but yeah. But shout also shout out to Molly's mom. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> She's uh, our first uh, uh, 
follower, our first fan. cheerleader. Hi, mom. <laughs> Yeah, I, I have to get my, my mom doesn't know how to access podcasts. I asked her if she listened to it. And she's like, I don't know how to find podcasts. I'm like, thanks, mom. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. We literally live in the same building. You could have just come over and asked, but that's fine. Shout out to my mom. Shout out to the mom, She'll get there too. one day. So, okay, so, so for I, our next read, I'll let you introduce it because I think you know a little bit more about it than I do. Uh, okay, so for our next read, we're going to pivot to the absurdist, which is typically, I think, more of what I read. Um, uh, I don't know how much uh, you read kind of these more experimental books, um, or because I know that you like um, historical fiction and stuff like that, yes. and I tend to like more of the absurdist. So for next month, we are going to read We Love You, Charlie Freeman by Catelyn or Caitlin Greenrit. I do not know how to pronounce this last name. We'll, we'll tweet it. We'll share. Greenidge, G-R-E-E-N-I-D-G-E. Just look it up, Google it, because this book <laughs> seems to be a little controversial. Um, Ooh. Yes, yeah, so I'm sure that our discussion will be really lively um, when we read this particular kind of off-the-wall book. We really discuss, like, um, you know, uh, trying different genres or different um, types of book each month. And I think that that's a trend we're going to continue with just to show the diversity of black writers and black stories. Yeah. So we and love stories specifically about women. And stories yeah. specifically so. about women. So. So, yay. Well, thank you for joining us for our second episode. Yay. I'm so excited. Um, we Yay, will. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we hope to like um, c- keep up with the schedule. We hope to do this once a month. Um, you can find our previous mm-hmm. episode at blackchicklit.com. You can also find us mm-hmm. on Twitter at blackchicklit. And I'm Danny. I'm Molly. And we'll see. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks. Bye. Bye. See you next month. Thank you.